welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church of Taylorville, Illinois. I hope this podcast stirs your desire for the things of God, and we hope that your faith in Christ will grow like never before. Now let's get into the podcast. Amen, amen. You're waiting for me to say something, weren't you? You were, I saw you, you're waiting, waiting, waiting. I should do it now just for fun. I love you guys. You know that? I do. Awesome. Thank you. At least there's one. Good grief. My kids aren't even here because my kids would have said it for sure. Hey, I'm glad that you are here, and I'm glad that we're here together just discovering what it is that God has for us uh, with some hidden gems in his word. Uh, Are you ready to hear some hidden gems in his word today? Amen. Anyone ready? Uh, I'm ready. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's this meme that went around a couple years ago about the milkshake machines at McDonald's. Anyone remember those memes? You do, right? It's like, what, what was it about the milkshake machines at McDonald's? They never work, right? Or they only work half the time. Here's the thing. I think there's a part of us Maybe it's a lazy part of us, I don't know, but I think that there's a part of us who just wants to have a life that's like the milk ma- milkshake machines at McDonald's. We just kind of want to work half the time. We just want to work a little bit, and we tend to kind of slough off when it comes to even spiritual things or anything else that we don't really feel pressured for. But one thing I'm, I'm absolutely sure of is though there's a part of us that maybe wants to be like the milkshake machine that it like doesn't work all the time, but when it works, it's awesome, right? Because who doesn't like a milkshake from, from McDonald's? However, I, here's the one thing that I know for sure. There's an aspect of us that maybe wants, to, wants us to hold back a little bit, but by God's grace, I want us to step forward. Who wants to step forward this morning? Somebody? Anyone? You want to step forward? Okay, you're going to get some, some things from God's Word to help you step forward. Because here's the thing that I know. There's a part of us maybe that wants us to step back, but by God's grace, we can step forward because we may operate at some times where we just want to operate on half strength. But when it comes to our faith, we need to operate on full strength. We need to operate complete with what it is that God says for us, what, it is says, what God says about us, because when we have that and the substance thereof, we can be changed and we can be changed agents in the world. But it is only through the metric of God's grace and the salvation message can we become the people that honors God and brings good into the world. It is only through that. What we're going to talk about today is this incredible truth And I want to read the full passage like I have for every week of the series, and I probably will for the rest of it. We're going to jump into Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 18. And we're just taking these elements of the armor of God one by one. Week one, we talked about being strong in the Lord. And we showed there's a difference between being strong in ourselves and being strong in the Lord. We have marginal strength by ourselves, but we have immeasurable strength in, in Christ. In week two, uh, we, we talked about the struggle, and we also talked about the belt of truth and said that the belt of truth is the very thing that all of the other, tire, of the other armor ties into and that the belt of truth is the thing that is, even when everything else is stripped away, that's the thing that remains. And I showed you a nifty picture of that. This week, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into the next level of armor. If you're ready, say, I am. I am. 
Verse 10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. I'm convinced that God wants to do immeasurably more in your life. I'm convinced of this not because it's just some lofty idea that I came up with. I'm convinced of this because... Previous to this teaching in Ephesians 6, God reminded us in his word in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, that he is the God who can do immeasurably more than we can ask, think, or imagine. That is the God that I serve. That's the God that I want you to serve because it is when you serve that God, the God, the true God, the triune God, then your life can go to the next level. Then you can stand against the enemy with not your own strength that is fleeting day by day, but yet you can stand in the strength of the Lord with the armor of God, donning that, living the life that honors God and brings good into the world. We're a church that's on mission, amen? We are, we are a church for God, for the city, for the nations, for us to go beyond ourselves and beyond uh, this gathering and off into the streets, we need to be armored up with what it is that God tells us to be armored up with. Knowing that he is a God who, who will do immeasurably more, but there are times where he wants us to do more. He wants us to take our stand so that we can, just as my shirt says, so that we can face the enemy. Not facing the enemy with our own strength and our own power, but facing the enemy with his strength and with his power. I love how the word of God ties itself together, Old and New Testament. In the passage that we're going to dig into today in this idea of the breastplate of righteousness, the Apostle Paul is not just talking about the the Roman uh, armor that he probably sees on the person who's holding him captive, but he's also drawing to Uh, some truths in the Old Testament that Isaiah prophesied about. In Isaiah uh, 59, 16, the Apostle Paul is connecting this idea from the Old Testament, bringing it into the New. And this is what uh, the, the prophet Isaiah wrote. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. Verse 17... He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. The context of this is Isaiah is prophesying about a future divine warrior. His name is Jesus Christ. 
But he's prophesying 700 years before the birth of Jesus about this divine warrior who would come and who would be standing with zeal and strength, who would be standing against the the oppressors and be standing for truth, and he would be a person who would be bringing about true justice into the world. And Isaiah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Isaiah has this image, and he's, he's prophesying about, ultimately about Jesus, that he would be the one who would bring this about. And then the Apostle Paul borrows this idea in the context of Roman imprisonment, most likely looking at a Roman soldier, maybe with Isaiah's words in mind, I don't know. But now what he says to us in verse 14, he says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. There's a weird thing that I saw in, this, in the study of this particular passage. I didn't mention it last week. But there's kind of a weird thing right at the beginning of this. Some of your translations, if you're reading from the KJV, it says, gird your loins with truth. Gird your loins. Which to me sounds like an awkward visit to the doctor, to me. And it sounds like after that awkward visit to the doctor, you are taking the day off the next, the next day you're taking off. You're calling in. But girding your loins with truth is, in the translation that we just read, I think it makes it better to understand we're fastening on the belt of truth. That it's that is us participating with God, fastening on the belt of truth. But now the Apostle Paul, he continues his analogies, getting be, not just beyond as if you're just ever going to beyond go beyond the belt of truth. But he says now with the belt of truth, now you're donning the breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate. Is, is connected to a word that maybe you're familiar with, with if you've ever heard the word thoracic or somebody who's had thoracic surgery. Uh, the word breastplate is a Greek word called thorax, meaning breastplate. And one way to illustrate this is I've asked Caleb Ingram to come up, and he's going to illustrate the breastplate of righteousness in a way that we can understand. I'm sorry that I don't have full Roman soldier regalia for him to put on. Instead, I've asked him to put on his own things. Caleb is a veteran of three different military services, which is awesome. The only one that he didn't serve in was the Navy, but I'm not mad about that. I'm not mad about that. I forgive you. But this is a way for us to visualize and and kind of experience this in, in our own way here. For a Roman soldier, he would have on a full armor breastplate, and Caleb has on a breastplate right now. And what you know is everything, all the vital organs are protected here. Apparently, your arm is not a vital organ, my friend. I apologize. But all the vital organs are protected here. Uh, There's been some teaching, actually, in the past about, from this passage, saying that a Roman soldier's armor was only on one side. And and many scholars... uh, actually disagree with that and actually believe that it's more like this where it's actually armor on both sides. But I think this is a great picture for you and I when we're trying to discern spiritual truth and understand the breastplate of righteousness, what's going on here? Because even within Caleb, he, is, he has vital organs that are being protected behind this breastplate. There's a scripture that goes with this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we would be made right with God through Christ. So 
the way that the Apostle Paul is using this illustration and the way that, that Caleb is also illustrating this is when the breastplate of righteousness is over us, God is covering us. He doesn't see us as sinners. He sees us as saved men and women of God, boys and girls of God. And he, uh, when we don the breastplate of righteousness, we don his righteousness, which is the cover for us, covering our most vital organ, that being our heart. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you very much. Thank you for your service as well. And just so you know, that is stinking heavy. That is very heavy. But we're talking about the, the breastplate of righteousness. There's three different things we'll see from this passage. We're going to see what the breastplate of righteousness is. We're going to see what the breastplate of righteousness is not. And then we're also going to see what the breastplate of righteousness does. First thing we're going to see is the breastplate of righteousness symbolizes the believer's righteousness in Christ and their victory over sin. It symbolizes the believer's righteousness in Christ. It's the covering of Christ. It's the atoning work of Jesus' blood over us. No more do we have the, the sacrificial system that existed in the Old Testament with the Jews to have their sins forgiven. Instead, Jesus, the spotless lamb, died once for all. And he died for, for all of those who would repent of their sin. He died for all of humanity. But those of us who would repent of our sin and ask him to, forgiveness, uh, to forgive us have experienced that grace and the mercy and that forgiveness. So the breastplate of righteousness is, it symbolizes the believer's righteousness in Christ and their victory over sin. Oh, church, I want you to experience some victory over sin. Oh, church, I, w I want you to have some victory over, over the shame that has plagued you. I, I want you to see beyond your worst day and to believe that God has a better day in front of you. Oh, church, I want you to experience the abundant life that Jesus promised in John 10.10. 10. I, I want you to have that. I want you to share that with others. I want you to glow with the radiance of Christ in your life. I want you to be set free, to be truly free from that addiction and that bondage. I want you to truly be free to, to be yourself around your spouse. I want you to be truly to be yourself around your kids. I want you to truly be yourself, your best self, whenever you're in a situation at work, when there seems like there's chaos, where you show up in that space, dawned with the righteousness of Christ, not to be caught up in the drama, but to be able to be standing there, glowing the radiance of Jesus to the people watching. That's what I want for you. I love how one person said, he says, when we're dressed in Christ, then we can face the enemy. You see, there's an element of, when we, when we live into shame, there's an element of shame that wants us to pull away. And the interesting thing is this, we can either face the enemy dawned with the breastplate of righteousness, or if we respond to the shame and the guilt and all the things that we've done wrong, or maybe our worst day, not believing God for a better day for us, what we tend to do is we try to turn away in shame, and then sooner or later, we actually turn our back. But what we do is we're actually turning back our back on the enemy. On the enemy. But when we're dressed in Christ, it is then that we can face the enemy. Not in our own strength and our own power, but in the promised power for those who believe. 
This should change your life. This can change your life. The word righteousness, it means to put right with. Or to cause to be in right relationship with. That Christ, when we uh, give our lives to Jesus, ask him to forgive us our sins, he, he becomes our Lord and Savior, that he places us in right relationship with the Father. No more are we bound to our sin and shame, but instead he's taken us away from that life into a new life dawned with Christ so that then we actually have Christ over us. We're dressed in Christ. We can face the enemy in God's strength. No more bound to what we've done, but instead maybe with the belief that we can do greater things as God has promised to do immeasurably more then we can ask, think, or imagine in accordance to his riches in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. But anytime that we get into something like this, I think it's, it's key for us to go back to this reality. Understanding is the basis of care. It doesn't matter what it is that you do. If you're planting a garden, you have to have an understanding how to care for that garden, don't you? I don't plant gardens. Some of you are amazing at that. Uh, put me in charge of it, I'll kill it all. It's gone. Um, I just, I don't understand it. But if you're going to plant a garden, there's an understanding that comes with the basis of care. If you're going to change uh, the, the oil on a Chevy truck, there's an understanding that comes with the basis of care. If you're going to step into some of the social issues in our day, there, there has to be a, a basis of understanding that helps us to have basis of care. If you are going to minister to someone, you have to, there, it comes with the understanding is the basis of care. All of these things have to do with us, but what does this have to do with God? God understands us better than we do. God understands us better than we can actually understand ourselves. If you're like me, you've had moments in your life to where you, you're, you sit back and maybe recall something that you've done or something that you believed, actions you've taken, words you've spoken, and you said, why did I even do that? Why did I do that? I can't believe I did that. I said that. Oh, I said it to that person. I can't believe that I did that. That's my fault. And we may, in times, not even understand why it is that we do what we do, but we can rest assured that God understands us better than we understand ourselves. I love how Eugene Peterson, in his, par in, in his paraphrase of Jeremiah 17, 19 through 20, he said this about the human heart and understanding of ourselves. He said this, The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. God understands us better than we understand ourselves. There's nothing hidden before his sight. There is no mystery that confounds God. He knows it all. He sees it all. From before creation and then after, cre after 
what we know is the world changes and we're given a, a new heaven and a new earth. God knows it all and he knows how it all is going to work out. But he also knows the big picture, but he sees you in the smallness of moments. He sees your doubts. He sees uh, your crippling fear. He knows about the shame that, is, that has held you back. And the good news is God has loved you through all of it. Understanding is the basis of care, and God understands you. But wouldn't it be amazing if you could actually put words to your own experience? Wouldn't it be amazing if you could actually allow the Holy Spirit to flesh out things in your life where you could add those words and just kind of lay them out in such a way that that you wouldn't have to hide anymore? I wrote this, this, this small thing, and I, and I, just as a way for maybe you to be inspired to articulate what's really in your heart. So this is called, Hi, I am fill-in-the-blanks heart. As I was studying for this, and I was going through this, I... I was overwhelmed. God just gave me like a divine download to put these things into my notes. And then I I didn't know, I knew that there was something going on, but then I actually invited Marla into the office and I said, hey, I want you to, I want you to just listen to this. I got two lines into it and my, my voice locked up and tears welled up in my eyes and I just said, I can't do it. And I don't know if that's going to happen now, but I want you to know that I believe there's so power in in what God has delivered here. And this may not be your story in total, but I believe this is part of your story. Let's see what God has to do and has to say. Hi, I am fill in the blanks, heart. If you were to give a testimony of your life, perhaps. I struggle to, to accept affection from people. For some reason, I don't feel worthy of people's love, let alone God's. I've endured some hard things in life, pretty ugly, actually. I've given myself to people, and they took advantage of me, so I grew to resent them. Oh, yeah, and I've tried to fill myself with food, porn, pills, and booze. Those years wore me out. The lines on my face can't hide that either. I never knew that I was truly loved, so I tried to manufacture my own love by pleasing people or manipulating them. They drained me. Oh, well, and I've been so torn down by my own emotions. My mind and emotions have dictated my life for a long time. You see, I love things. God help me. I love stuff and things more than I should. My life has been defined by collecting trinkets and things, but they're really just junk disguised as treasure. I was mad at my parents for so long. I didn't even realize that I was actually just sabotaging myself, but I thought I was getting back at them. I learned a hard lesson there. And then I met Jesus. And he gave me a new heart because apparently my old heart was faulty right out of the factory and I didn't even know it. He's been changing me as of late and I'm not the same person I used to be I do remember those dark days, but I praise God that there's days of better light ahead. Is that your life? Is some part of that true in your life? 
What God offers is not just a basis to understand who you are and what you've been in, but God offers you a new heart. A heart that is not deceitfully wicked above all things, as some translations say. God offers you not just a heart that you're just stuck in, the, in just the circumstances of your own life and your own doing. But God allows you a new heart and a new spirit and a way to see life and experience life full-hearted with the Spirit of God injected in you to allow you to live up to the potential that God has put in you. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 is what I'm speaking of. This is what God's word says through the prophet Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you, God says, and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God understands you better than you do. He knows that your heart, it began deceitfully wicked above all things. He knows that there's, that he knew that who you were in those dark days and what he offers you is a new heart and a new spirit and a new life and new things and better life, a better life ahead. That's what he offers you. He offers you a transformation. Because God, when when we accept the righteousness of Christ, it's this. God transforms our stubborn hearts into ones that love him. That he does that. We don't have to manufacture that love. He does that. He causes us to have the desire to love. And then he gives us the, the willingness to love and the ability to love and the strength to love. God does the transforming. It isn't just about some self-help project. You are not some self-help project. God transforms our stubborn hearts into ones that love him. And then he protects them with his righteousness. With the breastplate of righteousness. The most vital organ you have, your heart. The one that Jesus talked about a lot the one that is written about in the Old and New Testament innumerable times, the heart. It is Jesus who can give you a new heart, a new desires, a new outlook on life, and a promising future. Spiritual righteousness also uproots self-righteousness. Spiritual righteousness uproots self-righteousness. Righteousness. The seeds of self righteousness are first pride, if you're taking notes. In Matthew 6 1, Jesus said this Be careful not to do all the acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. In other words, be careful not to just do things to be seen because that's just building up your pride. And Jesus says, you're not going to get what you want. It's not going to lead you to the path that you think that will lead you down. The second is judgment. Jesus also said this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 3 through 5. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, he says, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Oh, be careful of quickly passing judgment on someone else, thinking that you're, you're better, that you can do better, you're smarter. 
you're beyond. Also, there's an element of this that has to do with abusing grace. That's the next thing if you're taking notes. Apostle Paul in Romans 6, 1, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He says, By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? What he's getting at is here is the seeds of self-righteousness is, Oh, there's grace for that. I'll be fine. I can, I can just do this for myself and, and approach it in a way we're actually abusing the grace of God. Another thing that is a seed of self-righteousness, is carelessness. Carelessness. 1 Peter 1, 5, 8 says this. start in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. We will not be able to have this if we live carelessly, rooted in Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness does three things. Self-righteousness is a belief in being morally superior while looking down on others. If we're living into self-righteousness, it's a belief that we are, that we are morally superior. And because we believe we're morally superior, we can look down on others. Second, it is this. Self-righteousness is rarely seen in the mirror. That's so tricky. You need the Spirit of God to discern this. It's rarely seen in the mirror. You rarely will ever see it in yourself. Other people may see it in you. God will reveal it in you, but it's rarely seen in the mirror. Third, self-righteousness shows itself in proving itself to be right. Or I could say with an unwillingness to ever be wrong. But what's on offer, Romans 3, through 24, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There's no difference for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now let's talk about what righteousness does. Let's get very practical. Spiritual righteousness produces moral righteousness. It produces moral righteousness. This moral righteousness means that there's a tendency in your heart to obey God's commands. 
and to live in a way that honors Him first. It is the It is when we have the the breastplate of righteousness, we can face the enemy in his strength, in his confidence, knowing that he will do, as he promised, immeasurably more than we can ask, think, or imagine in Christ Jesus. It It is all of these things, but also we can step forward in our life, and now our behavior starts matching our belief. And it'll show up in ways that we change morally. Psalm 106 verse 3 says this, How blessed are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness at all times. Who practice righteousness at all times. One of the commentaries that I looked into said this, Faith is proven to be true faith when we live righteously. Romans 6.13 adds to this idea, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. Offering your mind, feeding yourself with God's Word, being washed with God's Word, having your mind renewed as what the Word of God tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2 is part of that transformation process is having a a mind that's renewed in the things of God, that the Spirit of God washes over us and He gives us words in our mind from God's Word. So there's a change element there that will cause us to do uh, morally good things in the world. Also, a heart that we've talked about already, a heart that, that loves God and loves people. When you love God and love people and you, you come into situations open-hearted, you're going to be doing moral things. You're going to be morally good, a morally good person, because it's Christ's work in you. There's an implication of offering our, 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 our ears to being instruments of righteousness, being careful what we listen to, being careful to what feeds our pleasure centers, being careful to, to whose voice we listen to, being careful to avoiding slander, avoiding gossip, avoiding outburst of anger, knowing what to do when we hear these things, potentially avoiding these things, and also offering up our, our feet so that we're literally walking out the gospel that we're not just participating in the gospel when we come in the church house, but instead it it extends to your house so that you're walking out these truths, that you are not just standing facing the enemy, but you're able to take steps forward, advancing the kingdom of God, not shrinking back. And this is ultimately, I believe, what it is to meet a Christian in the day and age we live in. Ephesians 4, through 24 says this. I preached this a while back, but I love connecting things, even with the same book. We've been going through this book for a while. The Apostle Paul reminds us, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. 
Verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is what God is doing in the world. God wants to transform your stubborn heart And take away your heart of stone. And he wants to give you a heart of flesh that will love him and love other people. God wants to give you the ability. I firmly believe this. He wants to give you the ability to don the breastplate of righteousness. So that you can stand against the the enemy's attacks. Knowing that the breastplate of righteousness covers the most vital part of you. But you have to put that breastplate of righteousness on. This is us partnering with God. This is how we're truly changed. And this is how we can become change agents in the world. This, I believe, is what Jesus was talking about when he said that the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. It's with men and women of God, young men and women of God who stand up. They've been saved. They're no longer bound to sin. They're living in the victory. They're clothed in Christ's righteousness. They have the breastplate of righteousness on and they can walk forward in grace with their head up and the confidence that comes by knowing Jesus Christ. It's the same confidence the Apostle Paul talked about in Romans 1, 16 and 17, he said this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live in faith. The righteous will live in faith. Is that true of you? This morning, are you just living under your own righteousness? And maybe what I talked about in saying that true righteousness is not, it's not self-righteousness. And we kind of tore down some of those things. If perhaps you felt stung a little bit by the Spirit of God, maybe it's time you do some business with God. Maybe you confess with that. Maybe for you, you're, you're just like, My life's going nowhere right now. And maybe it's because you don't even know Jesus. Today could be the day you get a fresh start. You start to become brand new, transformed from the inside out, getting a new mind and a new heart, a new future. But maybe for you, you're you're walking in this righteousness and you just need to stand and respond and sing and say, praise God, I'm no longer the person I was. I praise God that I'm standing in the grace that is offered me. And maybe we just need to praise that God will continue to give us the strength to move forward with the breastplate of righteousness. Would you stand now? Where are you right now? Do you feel found out? Do you feel like the Spirit of God just has a light over you? Just so you know, I'm a pastor, but I don't see that light if it's shining on you right now. But God does. And God wants to move in your life. 
He wants you to obey Him. He wants you to surrender to Him so that you can live the abundant life, that He would be glorified, and that you could bring good into the world using your body as an instrument of righteousness. Do what it is that God is instructing you to do. Don't delay.